Hello and welcome to the first installment of JumboCast the Podcast. I'm your host, Jarrett Davis, happy to be bringing you the freshest takes on all things sports. Today I'll be joined by three very talented members of JumboCast, Lucas Pyle, Jenny Liu, and Trevor Russo. We'll take a journey through the athletic landscape, both on campus and in the pros. With that, I'd like to welcome my first guest, Lucas Pyle. Welcome, Lucas. Nice to have you with us. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm really happy to be here on the first episode and sort of, you know, we did last year moving from the radio show now into the podcast form. So very excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Lucas here is our resident EPL expert, and per- I personally know he can produce the goods on a cold, rainy night at Stoke. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I hope to bring what some knowledge I have about the Prem, you know, to the podcast form. But, you know, very excited to be here and you know, of course, the new season starting uh, just so soon after last season ending um, with Liverpool winning that Premier League trophy. So now, you know, new season is just two weeks old. So, you know, some great things to talk about. Definitely, definitely. Taking a specific look at the Premier League, which teams do you think are the most improved coming into this new season? Well, I think uh, I think probably the obvious choice right now would be Everton. I think Everton have had a great start to the season, really impressive 1-0 win against Spurs on their opening day, followed by a 5-2 win against West Brom. So, you know, Calvert-Lewin has started his season off well. I believe he had a hat-trick in the last game, so he's up to four goals. Um, and I think it all comes down to the three new additions in the midfield. You know, Ancelotti bringing in big names, James Rodriguez, of course, the big one. Um, and he's had some goals and assists in those first two games, Decore and Allen as well. And I think it just goes to show Ancelotti's quality as a manager, bringing these new players. It's his first, you know, had his first, you know, kind of summer to bring in his own players and has really improved Everton. And I think also, you know, in Merseyside as well, Liverpool have also improved with the addition of Thiago. I think that's such a great improvement to that team. The amount that they paid for him as well, such a big bargain, that move. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Thiago set the record for most uh, passes in 45 minutes in the Premier League in his first game, so looks to be a pretty good signing there. Yeah, and it allows them to play in a new style as well. I think it allows them to sort of dictate the play more. You know, if teams are sitting back and trying to, to defend in a deep block against Liverpool, not only do you have to worry about the two wingbacks putting in, you know, great crosses, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, but now you have to worry about Thiago, who can just dictate the play in that number six role. So, yeah, I think both Everton and Liverpool uh, have certainly improved. Um, and we've seen that so far in these first two games. The bottom of the table, anybody who was possibly uh, fighting to stave off relegation that you think might have a better chance to move up on the table this year? Um, well, I think, you know, it's always going to be tough when you initially come into the league. I think a lot of people always predict at least two of the newly promoted teams to go right back down. I certainly think Fulham is a big contender to go back down. You know, um, I watched them the opening day of the weekend against Arsenal and, you know, they, they tried to press Arsenal, but they just didn't seem to have the defensive, you know, um, you know, ability to really do that. And in terms of goal scoring options, you know, Mitrovic seems to be their only option. So I'm worried about Fulham. Two teams though, that I think that have been sort of wrongfully written off at times, but I think that are going to be fine are uh, Brighton and Crystal Palace. I think both of them have really impressed in their first two games. Um, Brighton especially, even though you know, they lost to Chelsea, they gave them a good game and then a good win against Newcastle. So I expect those two teams to stay up, that's for sure. 
Very nice. Yeah, I like Brighton's uh, young outside back, Lamptey. He's a, a real talent. Yeah, Lamptey's a, you know, he's a great player. And I think, I don't know, a bit of a mistake of Chelsea letting him go. But yeah, I think he's a great player. We'll see what he can do in his future career. On the flip side of the coin, anybody in hot water already? I know United's starting off a little slow. Yeah, I, United, I, I think, you know, I mean, you know, it is only one game. I, I think people have to remember that. But also, I think there needs to be some urgency in the transfer window. Um, Jerry, I know you're a United fan, and I, I don't think you'd be happy with how sort of how poor they've been in that. You know, the big saga was, will they get Jaden Sancho? That obviously doesn't seem like it'll be happening. Van de Beek's a good player, but I don't think addresses a need that United, you know, needs to sort of fill in. You know, I think they need more of a, a deep lying midfielder to protect the likes of Pogba and Fernandez when they push forward. And I also think they probably need a new center back. So I think if they're able to make some signings in these last couple of days of the window, then I think maybe they'll be fine. But if they don't, then I think it could be a bit of a struggle. Um, or a bit more of a fight uh, to make the top four. Yeah, and especially in the Champions League against some tougher opponents, if you're not playing the style of football that we saw at the end of the pandemic, uh, I don't think United stands much of a chance either. Um, I'd agree. Yeah, Alrighty. And then, so do you have Liverpool to repeat, or is anybody else the favorite this year? I mean, uh, of course, it's going to be Liverpool versus City again. Uh, I think that's... That's what I'm expecting. Chelsea, it, I think it's way too soon to expect them to be challenging for the title, even though they made all those new signings. I think they have to gel first. But yeah, it's between City and Liverpool. And I think the signing of Thiago has me picking Liverpool this time around. I think, you know, they also brought in Diogo Jota, who's a backup uh, for those attackers, who's a good signing. So I think, you know, with those two signings, you know, Man City obviously have got a great squad, but they've lost David Silva. They've lost Leroy Sané. Um, they brought in Nathan Ake to help out in the defense. But, you know, for me, it's a little confusing just because that's another left-footed center back. Mm -hmm. And you already have Laporte. So, interesting to see how they sort of form that back line. But for me, I, I think I've got Liverpool doing it again. You know, the signing of Thiago, I think, is such a key signing for them. So, I, I've got Liverpool winning. And uh, City, Chelsea, Arsenal round out your top four or someone else? I I mean, well, so I think conventional wisdom would say City, Chelsea, probably United. And I I think I'm just going to stick with that right now. You know, it's All very right. early on in the season. But, you know, Tottenham, you know, the signing of Gareth Bale, does that make them a contender? I think Everton have to maybe be taken more seriously. Leicester, of course, have two wins from two to start their season. Arsenal, no, they're in there. I think I'm a little, you know, me being an Arsenal fan, I think I'm still a little skeptical about their chances. But, yeah, I think right now I'll stick with Chelsea and United, but those other teams will certainly give them a run for their money. Definitely, definitely. Switching gears over to the Champions League. Bayern lifted the trophy just a few weeks ago. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Anything, uh, anything different going to happen? You think Bayern's going to make a run, or is it just the Champions League and... It's going to be a roll of the dice, like always. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of hard to predict a turn when, you know, we don't know who the groups are, and then each round they're sort of drawn into a new opponent, so it's hard to predict. But I think right now in terms of, if we're just looking at each squad, I think, you know, we'd have to put Bayern as the favorites again. You know, they've improved by signing Leroy Sané. I think that's already an improvement. And then the other sort of big clubs around, like in Spain, you know, Barcelona 
still seems to be in shambles. We just oh, saw yeah. the transfer saga with Luis Suarez and, and Lionel Messi, of course, and Messi's just come out and, you know, he's obviously very disgruntled right now. Uh, Madrid didn't really get anyone new, so I don't see them as being a, much of a contender. Juventus from Italy, you know, they have a new manager in Andrea Pirlo. You know, maybe they can make a run. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, for me, it's it has to be Bayern Munich. I'm not sure what you're thinking about it, but I think Bayern Munich, you know, they were so impressive. They are extremely impressive, but, you know, it's hard to say someone's going to repeat in the Champions League. It just, it's kind of unprecedented. I could see Liverpool coming back. Uh, City, you know, needs to grab some glory back again, even though they don't have that same talent. But uh, I think they could put up a fight. And you can always see, uh, you know, the Spanish sides. They, they've been blocked out for just a couple years now. And so uh, they definitely want to get back in. Yeah. Specifically about... Uh, soccer during the pandemic we saw the implementation of water breaks and extra subs some leagues decided to return back to normal and others have kept those additional rules what do you think about this you know i you know it's a really interesting question because i think you know obviously there was that break you know everything sort of stopped in march and we were wondering are leagues going to come back are they not obviously the french uh league um decided to sort of end their season uh, you know but la liga bundesliga Bundesliga was the first one. Uh, Premier League, you know, they all came back, but because the players were off for such such a long time, you know, they needed you know new sort of rules to help with that with that process of the five subs, the water breaks. I think you know, hotter as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. During the summer, a lot hotter. I think um, for me, you either keep one or the other. So I think it was a good idea to maybe just do the five subs. The water breaks do sort of bring this sort of awkward pause to the game they weren't super long but they certainly were awkward um and actually there was an interesting sort of almost like a phenomenon in which teams almost benefited from it because it was like a timeout it was like the first time you've ever had a timeout in soccer i know that arsenal sometimes benefited from it you know they'd start the game slowly arteta would talk to them and then they'd seem to improve in the half um but i do actually like the idea of five subs I'm going to call you out on that one and disagree. I would prefer to keep the water breaks, maybe just for, for health concerns, but the five subs uh, has destroyed tactical um, football. The whole point of soccer to me is you wear the other team down. It's a war. When you finally find that little hole in the, the gap in, the, in their armor, that's where you attack and that's where you find the goals. That's why soccer can sometimes be a boring game. It's a 1-0. It's a 2-1 it's a game. And uh, having five subs allows you to always replenish at least one or two of your defenders, that midfielder who's been working hard. You put in someone for those 15 minutes when right when he would have made that mistake, he doesn't because the player's fresh. Um, I like that it does get a lot of players involved, but um, I think it kind of makes it a little bit not like soccer. But um, no, very interesting, very, very interesting take. Yeah. Um, quickly switch to over to tough sports here. We have a lot of exciting news about tough soccer, a lot of change, a lot of influx, of course, due to the pandemic, things are going to be different. But what do you got on uh, on jumbo soccer right now? Well, yeah, so the men's team, of course, coming off, you know, the NESCAC and NCAA double uh, last year and uh, the news of Coach Shapiro leaving, you know, the most successful coach in, in tough men's soccer history, uh, being replaced by uh, Kyle Desitel, who... Um, is known to people uh, in the NESCAC. He was a, a prolific player for Middlebury. 
Um, I believe they're leading goal scorer of all time. Um, and has had he's been coaching for for quite a while. I believe he's been coaching since about or as a head coach since about 2006. Recently with Ithaca, where he achieved uh, the school's best season and an NCAA uh, you know berth. Um, so I think you know it's certainly you know a, a new age for Tough Soccer coming off such you know the glory days of winning you know those you know three four national championships. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been watching a little bit of, you know, uh, on Instagram, they sort of have these Instagram stories of the practices. They seem to be practicing with masks on, which I think obviously is a good thing, but I think would be a very, as, as a player, you know, uh, would be a very interesting environment to be practicing in. It seems like they're doing just like a lot of passing drills, a lot of things where players maybe aren't as close together. Um, so definitely inter- having to adapt during the pandemic is certainly looks to be an interesting task, you know, for the players, especially not having a real season as well. Definitely, definitely. Well, great stuff from you, Pyle. Thank you much. Thank you much. Great having you with us today. I'll let you get on to your next adventure. Lucas Pyle, everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jay. Thank you. Now to our next guest, switching gears to the NBA, we have one of the newest JumboCast ballers, Jenny Liu. So happy to have you with us on the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So I hear you can't get enough of the NBA playoffs. Fill us in in case some of our listeners aren't up to date. Right. So the NBA playoffs right now are in full swing. And so for those who don't know, we had an NBA hiatus back in March. And so now they're all back. They're all situated in a campus in Orlando, adhering to strict uh, COVID-19 guidelines, obviously. And so right now we are currently going on game five in the conference finals with LA Lakers playing against the Denver Nuggets in the West and the Celtics playing against the Miami Heat in the East. So we left off last night with both uh, team, both series in the East and West actually up 3-1, the Lakers and the Heat against their opponents. So next game will be super exciting. It's a win or go home game. So both teams right now, uh, for both teams that are down right now, the Celtics and the Nuggets. Yeah, definitely. Um, looks like it's a collision course for the for Lakers and LeBron and Jimmy Buckets and the Heat. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think the Celtics or the Nuggets can come back from that 3-1 deficit? We've seen the Nuggets already do it twice this postseason. Yes, of course. The Nuggets have been amazing coming back from two uh, 3-1, defi- uh, 3-1 deficits, which is unheard of. But I personally do not think they will be able to do it a third time. Definitely not against the Lakers and LeBron. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that being in L.A., Los Angelino, you know. So we will um, hope that LeBron and A.D. can close it out um, in a couple days. Yeah. But the Celtics, I, I have the Celtics getting this next one. Um, they're not going to go out without a fight. Um, who do you have to make it to the finals, though? It's going to be the Lakers and the Heat? Yes, I think the Lakers and the Heat, I think the Celtics have been phenomenal, although there are definitely some holes in their game. I would like to see them try to beat the screen of Miami a little better, and so we'll definitely see that next game going forward if they um, have any improvements on that front. Definitely. So with the Lakers-Heat final, who you have winning it all? Um, I have had Lakers from the beginning, and although there were some concerns um, for the Lakers in their performance on, like, in the bubble matchups before the playoffs and even in the first game against the Blazers, after game one, they were pretty much, they pretty much turned it on and 
it's been on ever since. So I still have the Lakers. I mean, Anthony Davis is averaging 28.5 points per game in the playoffs and straight up like no team has an answer for him. LeBron as well, averaging 25.9 points per game and both of them getting 10 boards a game. Even aside from those two, I mean, KCP, Rondo, even Kuzma a little bit, they're, they're, they're doing okay, averaging 10 points per game and playoff Rondo is of course still alive and kicking. And um, Alex Crusoe, of course, his presence on the court is undeniable, even though he's not a player that puts up a lot of points per game, but I still think he's an important asset. And Dwight Howard is matched up against Jokic right now in this series. And I think that's a super important matchup. And he, although he's past his prime, obviously, I think he's still very important on the court. Definitely, definitely. I like that pick. Looking over to the Heat, though, they play that simple zone that has given the Celtics so much problem. Lakers aren't known to be a really good three-point shooting team. Are they going to be able to take advantage of that zone and knock down three-point shots? You know, that's definitely, yeah. We haven't seen LeBron be very confident on the shooting front, and so that's definitely going to be a problem. But I think in regards to the zone, their best bet is to split the defense and really just drive in the paint. I think that's really what they need to do. Yeah, I think that might be the way they do it and might have to the heat might have to adjust and go one on one because you can't play zone and let LeBron and AD drive on you all day. All righty. And then talking about some standout performances in the playoffs, we've seen some awesome just awesome nights from players like Tyler Hero, um Jamal Murray. Tell us a little bit more about those games. Yeah, absolutely. I think you uh you got it right. So Jamal Murray, I mean, we have to mention him. He's been leading the NBA in pull-up shooter numbers. I mean, he's averaging 45.6 from deep and 45.4 just field goals attempts. And he's even better in the clutch. And so it's been amazing seeing him and Tyler Hero on the heat. Of course, he's a 20-year-old rookie and he just put up 37 points against the Celtics on Wednesday night. So that's been absolutely amazing. And I'm so excited to see where the future takes him because, I mean, he's already showing us, like, his potential coming to fruition. Some other standout performances, I would definitely say. Donovan Mitchell has to be mentioned. Even though the Jazz were knocked out by the, uh, by the nugget, Nuggets, even though they were up 3-1, I think he was still amazing. I mean, he was going back and forth with Jamal Murray. He had 50 or more points in three games in those series, and he was averaging 36.3 points per game, and, you know, that's just like, wow. On the Nuggets, I think, obviously, we have Jamal Murray, but Michael Porter Jr. has had some good moments. He's been sort of missing in... Uh, like on the court in some minutes in this series, just because I think the coach doesn't have them on the court due to his defense. It was slacking a little bit and maybe uh, they think he's not a good matchup against the Lakers. Definitely. Definitely. And then lastly, just want to talk a little bit about the, the platform for social justice that the players are using in the NBA. You hear a lot talked about it here. What do you think about how the players are using this platform and with the names on the back of the jerseys, making a lot of the arenas of polling centers 
Um, some really great things to hear about. Just uh, take get your take on that a little bit. Yeah, I love it so much. I think they're doing an amazing job. I, I know that a lot of players like Kyrie were concerned about um, the NBA season possibly detracting from the social justice and Black Lives Matter movement. But I think that they achieved their goal. I mean, they're promoting it any chance they get, like you said, with the messages on the uh, back of their jerseys. They're kneeling for the national anthem, and there are lots of videos and commercials about Black Lives Matter, and it's been all very moving and powerful. And I love how the players and commentators and coaches and really just everyone, they make an effort to talk about it every chance they get because that's part of the reason why they chose to resume this season. You know, they want players to have a platform to talk about this, to broadcast it on national TV. And just last night after the game, LeBron talked about Breonna Taylor in his post-game interview. And so, yeah, I think they're doing an amazing job. Yeah, great, great insight right there. Uh, lastly, which teams do we need to keep our eyes on looking forward in possible future seasons? Um, in future seasons, I mean, I think the Mavs, obviously. We saw Luka absolutely yeah. dominate before he was knocked out, so we have to keep an eye on him in future seasons. And even though the Nets were knocked out by the Raptors. I think they're the young core of the team has a lot of potential and obviously they were without Kyrie and KD will be joining their roster soon. So I think that'll be an exciting team to catch up on. Yeah. You can't forget about those nets. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Love the insight. Really great stuff from you. Hope to hear from you soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And now we will be joined by Trevor Russo pulling double duty. He's going to take care of both the NFL and the MLB. Trevor, nice to have you with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Jarrett. I'm uh, surprised you gave me <laughs> both beats, but I'll do my best to, uh, to fill in here. Most definitely. I think you have the capacity to pull it off, Mr. Football Announcer, man. But let's start with baseball first. We're looking to go into the playoffs very soon. Can you give us a little uh, detail of how the playoff picture is looking right now? All right, yeah. So uh, the AL is essentially uh, set at this point. So Tampa Bay, uh, that young core finally coming to uh, fruition. You know, they contended for that that wild card spot last year, and now they're actually the top seed in the American League. 37-20 and 20 record, looking really impressive. You got Oakland back into the playoffs after that, you know, wild card, those wild card debacles they've had the past couple of years. Minnesota has looked really well, really good. Uh, Nelson Cruz apparently has been on almost an MVP tear. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, the Chicago White Sox, you know, haven't been in the playoffs since uh, since we were in basically middle school uh, or I guess elementary school for me. And the Yankees, of course, the five seed, you know, they had a really bad slump in the middle of the season. They lost 15 at 20, which is crazy. The starting pitchers looked terrible. They couldn't hit. And then they went on a 10 game winning streak and uh, 
get ready to uh, take the, the five seed here, the second seed in the AL East. The Houston Astros have not looked as as good as, you know, they, they usually do. But uh, for the most part, they, you know, they've had to contend with somewhat of a weaker division this, this year compared to, you know, some of the other divisions like the, uh, the AL Central, the the AL East, which is, you know, usually pretty strong, uh, has looked, you know, uh, hasn't given them much competition. Of course, the the Rangers and the the Angels, I wouldn't really, you know, stoop to call them <laughs> much of competition and Seattle. But still, it's surprising to see uh, Houston look this week. I guess uh, if you consider the extenuating circumstances around this season, not that surprising, but still a barely 500 record. And they actually are, they're, Doing worse in record than the two wildcard teams, the Cleveland Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays, who make it back for the first time since 2016. And those uh, great Jose Batista teams that we all uh, know and love or hated, I guess, if you're an Orioles fan. Interesting. They uh, they really never should have. Uh, the Orioles are still regretting uh, not putting in Zach Britton in the 11th. Yeah, definitely. That was a, a memorable moment. Um, speaking specifically, just letting the fans also know, first of all, before we move on, um, the playoffs have been expanded to a 16 team. Yeah, yeah. So interestingly enough, not only this, this wasn't negotiated in the original deal that Manfred put on the table, the 60 game deal that the players eventually accepted because Manfred had basically had the power to institute the season anyways. This was an agreement ratified four hours before the start of the regular season, the Washington Nationals versus the uh, New York Yankees game. And it just, it came out of the cover of night and the playoffs went from, you know, you have your, your top division winners and then two wildcard teams to uh, adding three more spots to the playoffs saying that the, the top two teams in the, the East, the central and the West for both, for both leagues, you know, basically almost doubling the playoffs here. And um, I'm not a big fan of it personally. I think it rewards um, mediocrity. However, you know, broadcasting money, oh boy, that uh, that is what the networks love and what the leagues love. And Manfred has repeatedly made allusions this season to maybe bringing this back, making it a permanent change that there would be eight playoff slots, which means that more than half the league would make the playoffs every single year. No, not a big fan. The only thing I might see from that being a positive is that if you have such a good squad and you know you're most likely going to make the playoffs, put your young studs in. Get them some time in the big leagues. And then when the playoffs come, you know, you have that guy off the bench who's now has that momentum that you can bring when the it rosters are expanded. So um, that could be interesting, but I think it would make the, the regular season kind of a, kind of a pony show. You know, it, it just wouldn't wouldn't have any of that same, that same vigor, that same energy that it always does. You know, you go to that game. Especially if you go back to 162, it's going to, the regular season mattering even less. I think that's, that's a dangerous spot for the league right there. I think they're playing with fire. I do like some of the other changes that they made though. I, I mean, the, the uh, universal DH, that looks like it might, that, that looks like that might stay. And I haven't heard much, uh, maybe just because I'm an AL fan, I haven't heard much chatter from uh, from NL fans about missing their pitchers going 103 and grounding into outs. I don't How does that uh, feel for you, Jared? As an NL guy and as just a baseball junkie, I like when the manager has to make tough decisions and you have to think about 
bunting and you have to think about maybe that double switch or whatever it is really allows the manager to flex his his baseball iq to make himself an actual piece of the game when you have the dh i mean it kind of takes some of that stuff out of it but i do understand the case for it why not get someone who can hit every time but then you're taking the madison bumgarners some of those type of pitchers that really rake um out of the equation and i mean how many how many at bats is he gonna get he might get a couple because he can hit but um, I, I think I think it's an interesting way. I wouldn't be too upset if it happens, but yeah, very interesting. Um, switching over to injuries, some of these teams you've mentioned are very banged up, even though they're locked in. I'm specifically talking about Oakland and Matt Chapman. Um, some other players also really banged up. Can you give us a little injury update? Yeah. Uh, so of course, for uh, <laughs> if we have to talk about poster child for injuries, we got to talk about the New York Yankees, right? Uh, yes. Aaron Judge just continually banged up over uh, the entire season. You have Giancarlo Stanton also suffering injuries. And I mean, those two guys have been uh, their production has been replaced somewhat. But you got to wonder, I guess, not for the playoffs, but long term, Aaron Judge, does he even re-sign with the New York Yankees because of his availability has been, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but unacceptable for a team like the Yankees. They they need that power, and he has not been he's not been on the field to provide it. And you know, if you're going to give him, I mean, do you even give him a Mookie Betts like contract? Do you trust him to stay on the field that long? I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely a question. You're saying Matt Chapman. Uh, it's definitely a shame. He's one of my my favorite unknown players, you know, in the MLB, because it seems like no one knows him at the end of the year. He's always got about six, seven, maybe even eight war. But uh, Jake Lamb kind of coming out of free agency, a longtime Diamondbacks player and providing a lot of a lot of pop there. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, actually, I got to switch over the NL, right? I haven't I haven't gone over that. That's actually the more interesting playoff situation, because if if you're talking you know, variants, I think that we could see a lot of things change. Uh, the AL is mostly set. I think the one through eight is actually going to stay uh, the same way, save for uh, which team is going to play the New York Yankees. The Minnesota Twins are praying that it's not them because that hasn't gone well for them in the past. But uh, as we go from top to bottom, you got Los Angeles Dodgers, of course, just absolutely slamming it up and down this season. Mookie Betts, I think... Everyone would say that he should be the NL MVP this season. He's just been phenomenal, providing his his five tools every single day. And that's the thing that you got in Boston with him is he'd he'd always make sure to make a play, even if he's not hitting, even if he's not fielding, he's going to make a play through power, through speed, through amazing defense. It, he's going to be a treat to watch for years. The Atlanta Braves off the back of some really good pitching really good young pitching of course ian anderson has looked phenomenal it's a shame about mike soraka i thought he was going to have a really good year but max freed back off the injured list and ready to dominate for them and then chicago of course kyle hendricks looks really good he he continues to surprise me with the fact that he throws 89 miles per hour but his changeup is just so good right lester hasn't been as good but you darvish i think finally coming into his own this year right a lot of questions about him little bit little bit but uh Playoff you Darvish, you don't want to ask me about playoff you Darvish. I don't think he's the goods. You got some nightmares there. But, uh, yeah, San Diego, um, you know, that, They're they a fun are team. very fun. Uh, I mean, Slam Diego, 
uh, that that period of time, I think the funniest part of the season was when Tatis Jr., who has been, you know, one of baseball's brightest young stars and probably would be the MVP of the NL if it weren't for Mookie Betts, in my opinion. He he hit a grand slam against Texas. We all know what happened. His both his manager and the Texas manager told you know the media that it was a classless thing to do. And then, as karmic punishment from the baseball gods, the Texas Rangers gave up a grand slam in the subsequent three days, leading to the great Slam Diego call by former Red Sox announcer Don Orsillo. Side note: I think any I think of any free agent departure. From Boston, I think Don Orsillo leaving Nesson has been the one that hit me the hardest. You probably wouldn't know, but he had such a great rapport with uh, with Jerry Remy that I don't think Dave O'Brien's been able to to capture. And that's someone who's worked for Nesson, so hopefully they don't hear this. <laughs> yeah, St. Louis Cardinals. You know, they've gotten over their their COVID woes, having basically the first half of the first quarter of their season postponed, but. It seems to be working out pretty well. I think Kim, the rookie, has pitched really well for them, right? Had a great season. Yes. Paul Goldschmidt bouncing back. In the sixth seed, we have probably the most surprising team of anyone out here. The Miami uh, Marlins off the back of Sixto Sanchez and a whole bunch of other guys who I'm not really that familiar with. They've just been, you know, I mean, they've been 500, but can you say that the Miami Marlins being at 500, just a couple seasons out from the the great fire sale of Jeter, you know, it's yeah. it's wild to think about how they've actually just bolstered up their prospect. I think you know a lot of these these teams are showing that uh, tanking is working. You know, you have Chicago did that for a couple of years, uh, San Diego, the Braves, and uh, I guess we'll we'll see in the future. But I think I think that strategy might be here to stay. Cincinnati, Trevor Bauer has really stepped it up. Apparently, he was working on a couple of new pitches during quarantine. Uh, he's right now leading the NL in strikeouts with 100. And the San Francisco Giants, who everyone thought would be a basement dweller, you know, with Pittsburgh and Arizona and all those other teams, has been has been pretty pretty good. I mean, they've they have uh, they have you know the grandson of of Carl Yastrzemski out there. Hidden and it's uh they they could have a chance. Um, although the reason I wanted to go onto this this playoff picture is you have two teams in the Philadelphia Phillies and the Milwaukee Brewers who might actually be able to steal a couple of these spots away and potentially knock anyone from five to eight out of the playoffs entirely. I mean, because uh, I don't think Atlanta or Chicago or even the Dodgers want to play. Philly or Milwaukee either. Well, I mean, considering uh, with the bullpen of Philly, I think if any team would want to play them, uh, I think it would be those because Brandon Workman has been horrendous since the trade. But that's, that, those are two dangerous teams. We got to save a little bit of time for, for football as well. So I would just want to get your picks on who may be the MVP, Cy Young, and who's going to win it all. All right. So I think for MVP – and Cy Young in the uh, in the AL. Um, there is absolutely no contest here. It's Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. He has been otherworldly this season in terms of baseball reference war and Fangraphs war. So, you know, the more advanced and the more standard stats, he leads all players in the entire MLB. Um, he has an ERA of 163. He struck out 122 batters through 77 innings. 
And not to mention, he has a no-hitter. And that that 122 over 77 ratio would be the highest strikeout per nine innings total since Garrett Cole did it last year, which is which is insane. And maybe the shortened season has something to do with that, but we're seeing something special here. And then the NL, I think I'd probably go with, with Mookie Betts. Of course, you know, that trade looking better and better by the day. He has been everything they've wanted and more. I mean, you've probably seen it yourself. His, his defense is just amazing. He's so fast. He can threaten you on the base pass and he just, you don't think he'd generate that much power, but his his he does. his swing is just so pristine Clean. that it just you can yep. he can pop anything over the bleachers. And when he needs to get a single, he gets a single and legs it out for a double. So he's... yeah, exactly. And he's also a great leader, uh, really inspirational. Yeah. He said a lot of great things about the uh, the current climate too. And I think the the Dodgers have someone. I think unlike the Bryce Harper deal, I think this is one that the Dodgers are going to be very very happy they made. And then the NL, I'd probably go with uh, Zach Wheeler of, of Philadelphia. He has been also really good. He, I'm a big, I'm a big war guy, so that's how I kind of decide these things. But he's he's played pretty well for them and been able to keep them in a playoff hunt. That, frankly, I don't know if the Phillies should even be in it. They've they've had some hot stretches. You know, they're a little dangerous, but we'll see how the Phillies do. I, I do like uh, Alec Bohm though. He seems to be a really young phenomenal player and at a pivotal position too very nice so in the series you have uh you got the dodgers and i mean i i think i gotta go with the the dodgers to win it all um they just look they just look like the most i don't think they have any i agree any holes really like their pitching is great see if that pitching can perform in the playoffs that's been their their achilles heel um who do you think could possibly meet them there and give them some trouble who do i think could meet them i i don't think i trust Tampa Bay, but the thing is, none of the usual contenders are really here in the AL. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of really inexperienced teams. You got Tampa Bay, who doesn't usually, you know, they they played in the ALDS like I think last year, but that was about it. You know, you had, you had uh, Oakland, who hasn't won their division in years. Minnesota, who just gets usually knocked out by the Yankees. Chicago hasn't been here in years. Uh, Houston is a six seed. New York Yankees are the five seed. And the reason I, I bring up the the seeds is because in the new playoff format, there is a, a, a qualifying wild card round. And in the qualifying wild card round, you have it's a three game series. Every game is at home for the team with the higher seed. So that could potentially provide a huge advantage to the top four seeds. I mean, I think I got to go. You know what? I'm going to go uh, out of the box pick. I think Minnesota. I think uh, Nelson Cruz and that offense are just so explosive that I think they're just going to blow anyone else away. But I think they do fall to the Dodgers eventually. Very nice. Some great baseball insight from Trevor here. Switching gears to the NFL. We are in the beginning of week three. Some big surprises, some injuries. A lot of people are moving around. Some rookies performing well. What do you got for us, Trevor? Well, um, I guess we start with, uh, well, we could start with last night's game, the uh, week three matchup between Jacksonville and Miami. You know, you had the back and forth between Minshew and Fitzpatrick, you know, about their facial hair. But in this one, it was, Fitzmagic really was just, uh, he was excellent last night. He, you know, He's uh, he's got sneaky good legs. He can uh, he can run really well, and he was able to use that to his advantage, especially with a uh, run game where Miles Gaskin only ran for uh, three yards per carry. He was just slinging down the field. Uh, Gasecki is is turning into a a really reliable target for him. You know, he only had 
one catch for 15 yards and a touchdown. But I think that that reliable red zone threat is great for him. Devontae Parker continues to justify his contract. Fitz only threw about 20 times uh, in last night's game, but he was really efficient. 160 yards, two touchdowns, and uh, also was able to play really well off the back of his defense. He got a couple of uh, short fields from Gardner Minshew, who, while he threw for 275 yards, didn't throw for a touchdown, and also uh, coughed up a fumble and threw an interception. So the Dolphins were actually able to take a pretty quick lead in this one, went on the back of their running game. While it wasn't very effective, uh, Fitzpatrick running the ball and Miles Gaskin getting as many carries as he did, I think they just were able to ice out the game. And uh, unfortunately for Minshew, they dropped to 1-2 and two after an almost 2-0 and o start. I guess moving into the rest of the regular season from Week 2, you saw a lot of injuries. Basically, the 49ers' entire football team got injured. At the end of the, the game, D. Ford, Richard Sherman, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, and Raheem Mostert. There were another top two running backs in Coleman and Mostert. So Jerick McKinnon, I think, will take the start that week. But no, no George Kittle, most likely. Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe they say he is questionable. He's likely... He he might not play. I think also there's a they were they were complaining about the field at the end of the game. The NFL went checked the field, said it was okay. So as they go back to MetLife, you uh, you'll want to see if you know maybe their entire defense goes down this time. You know, outside of the 49ers, uh, you had a couple other names. The uh, Eagles left guard Isaac Sayamalo. He is going to be on short-term IR. Jalen Rager. Uh, tore his thumb, Saquon Barkley out for the year with a torn ACL. Malik Hooker uh, is also out for the year. Christian McCaffrey. So top two running backs in fantasy. People are going to be, uh, you know, kicking themselves right now about that. And Cortland Sutton, who is, I think, prom set for a really promising season for the Broncos, had a good, uh, he's a big target, great skills. And I think for a Broncos team that's already uh, lost Judy and Drew Locke, it's going to be very hard for them to even look at competing this year, even with their defense playing a little better. Was there anyone else that I missed from the uh, the injury list? Of course, a couple, but we are going to move on to some more positive news. Um, Russell Wilson's playing out of his mind. Oh, yeah. Aaron Rodgers also playing pretty well after drafting a quarterback, the Packers. So now... Rodgers is stepping up his game. You think Russell Wilson is going to win the MVP or someone else going to take it? You know, I think the, the thing we're seeing different from other seasons with Russell Wilson is, you know, you have this frustrating thing with the Seahawks where you're like, ah, you have one of the best quarterbacks of the past decade and you just will not let him throw. And you continue to just you have this run heavy game plan from Brian Schottenheimer that just makes you want to pound your fists into a wall. And it seems like he's finally, uh, they finally woken up there in, uh, in Seattle and decided, hey, we've got this amazing quarterback who can, you know, throw from anywhere on the field as an excellent deep ball. We've got great weapons for him finally. And they're just letting him, uh, I, I guess the expression going around right now is let Russ cook. And cook he did against the New England Patriots. 21 of 28, 288 yards, five touchdowns and an interception for Russ. And he also ran for 40 yards, which, you know, you don't, he, he doesn't actually, uh, you'd think he'd run for a lot more yards than he does. I don't think Russ has been running 
that often anymore. Usually he just scrambles to try to find an open receiver. But here, you know, in a tough battle with the Patriots and Cam Newton and, you know, a defense that usually is pretty respected, he he put on a show. And I think if they they finally just let Russell Wilson throw the ball and mix in the running game, I think they're going to have great success. Now, the defense in Seattle, of course, is uh, is very questionable having, you know, I think the entire almost the entire Legion of Boom has atrophied there. But he he is, I think, right now the the number one quarterback to watch and the 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 number two quarterback to watch, although he's played, you know, a bunch of uh, a bunch of garbage teams in Miami and uh, the Jets. Josh Allen is uh, is looking really good. He's throwing the ball down the field with confidence, which you think of Josh Allen, right? What do you think of? You think of like a guy who has a big arm who just chucks it. That's not what he's been the past couple of years. He's been like more of a short intermediate thrower under that Brian Dable offense. But this year with the addition of Stefan Diggs and of course, John Brown to take the top off the defense. Once again, he has been effective with his legs. He's been great in the red zone, been able to chuck it down the field. Uh, obviously they've got themselves a bit of a tougher test in uh, the Los Angeles Rams. And of course you got Jalen Ramsey over on that side to sort of take away those wide receivers. They, uh, they played a really good game against the Eagles last week. So we'll see if Josh Allen can continue that, but it's early signs are positive. And I think a lot of people are very high on the offense that Dable runs and Josh Allen's executing it, which it's kind of crazy to think about. You never thought that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson would probably be the two best quarterbacks from that class. I uh, I personally thought Rosen would would do the best when that happened. And oh boy, I uh, that didn't go so good. I don't know about that. Coming from SoCal, you, you kind of yeah. Eh, they make good quarterbacks, but they like fun in the sun. And uh, there was that picture of him in the the jacuzzi in one of his dorms. So so you kind of know what type of guy he is. He might not be completely invested in football, but good kid, good kid. He is a smart kid, a smart kid. Uh, so who is your NFL MVP from uh, only two weeks into the season? What, who do you got? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's Russell Wilson's to lose. You know, he's never gotten an MVP vote. That's very surprising for such a great player. Um, now for your picks on the Super Bowl. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl and who's taking it all? Oh, boy. That, this early, huh? I got to ask you. We asked the hard questions on this one. Well, you, you are, you are asking those questions, man. Gosh, I think it's. Very tough to say right now. I think there's no, I think the only team that's really been able to separate itself against good competition has been, uh, it's been the Baltimore Ravens. So right now, I think, I think off the strength of that defense, I think you're going to go, I'm going to go Ravens in the AFC and the NFC is a little more muddled because I don't really, I don't know how much I trust the Seahawks defense to hold up against some of these better teams, but I'd normally say New Orleans, but they, they have not looked good. Um, as you know, you're a big Raiders guy. They they got destroyed by Derek Carr, which I understand. Derek Carr is a, you know, he he's had his moments, but I think that it's the thing is Malcolm Jenkins on the safety side for New Orleans has you know coming over from Philly. You expect this guy you can cover anyone, play any position, and he was just getting absolutely steamrolled by Darren Waller. Uh, all That's night good, long. 
one of the best tight ends in the league, everybody's saying. So for the NFC, who do you got? You, you got the Seahawks. Man. I am going to go with, I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. I think that uh, uh, Aaron Jones has looked really good. I think I still trust that Green Bay defense. I'm not very confident in this pick, though. I think that the NFC seems very muddled to me compared to the uh, AFC. So before we go, can we, uh, can we talk about the Falcons? We have to talk. Falcons about briefly, and I'd like to get to Antonio Brown. You think he is going to sign with the Texans? Wait. Antonio Brown is signing with the Texans. Everybody's talking about it today. There's uh, no way. I, I genuinely think I, I will be shocked if Antonio Brown comes back into this league. Isn't he suspended for eight games? So the Texans wouldn't be able to play him until like week 11. I don't believe that is true with the news I was looking into today. Ryan Clark predicted that, yeah, Bill O'Brien's going to make the move. And after getting trounced by that Pittsburgh defense this weekend, um, Bill O'Brien's going to make the move and grab Antonio Brown, and he will be in in week four. So after this week. Yes, exactly. And I, I don't think he would have a lag because that would not make sense. You know, why would you grab him that quick? the lag i would double check in on that but uh something to look into if you aren't keeping up to date with the the news about antonio brown he may be joining the texans wow that that would be surprising especially with with all the issues he's had i i don't know how well that would go over and especially in a situation as volatile as an zero and three team i think that uh that's a big risk you're bringing in and we'll see if deshaun watson can sort of handle that in the locker room if it does happen I would be uh, I'd be shocked if it did. So, do we have time to talk about the Falcons? We have to talk about the Falcons. Falcons, real quick, couple of minutes. Yes. Okay. The uh, the Atlanta Falcons. You saw, of course, we all remember twenty eight to three, but we might soon remember an even greater collapse. Yes, I say even greater collapse. Twenty twenty. You could call it twenty to zero. You could call it twenty six to seven. You could even call it 33 to 24 with, with only about five minutes to go. The Atlanta Falcons were in control of the Dallas Cowboys the entire game, and they just kept letting the Cowboys score, and they kept letting Dak Prescott get on the run, and you thought to yourself, well, okay, there's no way they could blow it again, right? So the, the Cowboys score a touchdown with about, I think, a minute and 14 seconds left to go. And they have no timeouts. Their two-point conversion failed. Uh, so the only thing that they can do is kick an onside kick. So Greg Zerline puts the ball down, kicks the onside kick, and it starts. It crosses the five-yard mark. And all the Falcons forgot how to play the game of football. They literally forgot that the only the offensive team cannot pick up the ball past 10 yards. So you just have five Falcons standing around the ball, like staring at it, waiting for it to go down. The, any of them could have picked it up and ended the game right there, and they didn't. Cowboys recover. The, the Falcons also, by this point, despite being the winning team, had used all of their timeouts. So they had no way to stop the, the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys marching down the field, kicking a game-winning field goal, and after winning, leading by basically almost – Three scores the entire game. Loss in a last second field goal, 40 to 39. It's, 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 I think it's honestly worse than, uh, than 28 to 3. I think, uh, report their win on percentage. the line this time, but yeah. No, but their win percentage was 99.9 yeah. with about five seconds, five minutes to go. Unbelievable. 
That one, that one was tough. But uh, thank you so much, Trevor. Yeah. Always extremely insightful. Looking forward to talking to you more this year. Thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you, Jared. All righty, folks. That's all we have for you this time. Stay tuned as we will have more content coming very soon. Go Jumbo.